0: wellnesscoach.com, streaming wellness into your lives.
1: Welcome to Back exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo
0: and Dr. Anthony Coxon.
1: Welcome to Back My name is Paul Bergamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. BackChat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health refers to being your best in thinking, eating, moving, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today, we're going to explore the health pillar of being your best with your thinking. To help me today, as always, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow chiropractor and co-host... Anthony Coxon. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? I'm going well, Paul. Gee, it's been a busy week. Have you had a busy week we've, this week? I think we've both had a busy week, haven't we? Well, uh, chiropractic this week, actually, it's probably been a bit higher on the agenda, hasn't it? Well, as
0: the back chat listeners probably know, you and I are both chiropractors. We're both involved with the Chiropractic Association of Australia, and we've had a lot on. So it's kind of ironic, I think, that we're talking about work life balance. I don't know about you. I've had my daughter tap me on the shoulder this week and say, Dad, you know, where have you been? You know, can we spend ah. some time? Together, it's been one of those kind of weeks,
1: actually. But you know, when you life work balance. Didn't I see the fact that your wife was overseas in Bali? She, well, she's got the work life balance all worked out, it's just <laughs> me that needs to work on that one. <laughs> so, true. uh, Lisa's she's, all good, she's not it all in one fantastic. Well, tonight, it's great that we've got our, our guest is, is Glenn. Williams. Glenn is a uh, founder of Enliven, an executive and business coaching practice in Melbourne. He's dedicated to assisting CEOs and boards of directors take a more strategic approach to successfully navigating change, both in business and in life. All right. Glenn has collaborated with a broad cross-section of executives from a diverse array of industries, both locally and internationally. Together, he's sought to understand and overcome the challenges executives face in managing and leading their enterprises, as well as their lives outside the office. From high-tech startups to mature public companies, from charities to Fortune 500 companies, Glenn has found a common set of challenges tends to prevail. Today, Glenn will help us explore the topic of work versus life. It's your choice.
2: Hi, Glenn. How are you going? Yeah, very good, Paul. Sounds like we should
0: have had Lisa on the show as well. We? Y- yes, absolutely. Well, well, sure, we'll Skype her in from Bali. Well, that's right. Lisa's busy,
1: mate. She's <laughs> yes. uh, relaxing and uh, just uh, doing all the doing the, uh, the the life part of the work balance thing. Eh? Exactly. There you go.
0: She's mastered that.
1: Excellent. So to start with, Glenn, can you just explain the obvious question? I mean, what is work-life balance and why is it so important?
2: Yeah, sure. Look, I think in simple terms, um, work-life balance is kind of the division of one's time and focus between work and family or leisure activities. You yeah, it's, um, know, it's also got a competing idea floating around in our culture as well, that um, there should be as little separation between your work and your pleasure and your passion in life. Um, you know, in the, in the utopian world, we'd all understand what our higher purpose was, and we're doing something that was that's really aligned with that. Uh, part of the challenge I see for some successful people is that because they they have found something that they're very passionate about, it's actually drawing the boundaries at the end of the day and making sure they take the time to invest in those other areas of life, um, particularly things that uh you know, if, if if things change, you need to fall back on those things or when you get to a retirement or a semi-retirement stage, if you haven't made those investments in other areas and things you have in common with your wife or your husband or friends and family to enjoy, now it can be a bit of a vacuum for people that have been high-performing executives when they get to that um, yeah, the
0: finish line. Yeah, I guess it's. Um, this must obviously vary across a lifespan. I mean, Paul's kids are high school. Uh, yours? Paul, yeah, thirteen Paul. and sixteen. Year seven and year ten. Yes. So great. I've and I've got two uni students now. And of course, there are people out there working that aren't married or don't have uh, families. I'm imagining this work-life balance act is a little different depending on your stage of life.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, that's true. If you think about what happens over the course of our lives, we go from a relatively simple existence, you know, I think back to when I was 25 and single and um, just uh, getting on in my career a little bit and life is good, but then suddenly you acquire uh, maybe a investment property or a house, you might acquire a, uh, a husband or a wife, you uh, then have a few children, you may start your own business or you may get into senior management, um, progressively life gets more complex. and the um, some of the complexities I think of work-life balance really stem from these different roles, um, when those roles come into conflict with each other.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I suppose you know that evolution it takes a bit of trial and error to work through, doesn't it? I mean, I suppose you know I'm thinking back to the mid '20s too, Anthony. You know, life was very simple, wasn't it? it was and, and now you compare our sort of requirements in, as business owners and. And managing things in the workplace, and coming home, and then trying to separate those sort of things—it's—it's it's such a different context. Well, well,
0: I think you know, uh, and when you're in your twenties, and, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all, but I think it's probably the most selfish time in your life. You know, you're very self-centered; everything's about you, and it's a great, uh, wonderful yes. time. Don't get me—I loved my twenties. But you don't have a lot of the responsibilities that then you may acquire, as Glenn was talking about, as you, you know, develop, uh, start to run a business, or start to. Um, Uh, have a family and all of a sudden you've got competing things pulling against you and uh, this is where it gets just that little bit tricky.
1: Now, Glenn, I've heard you talk about the work-life balance sheet, which is a great analogy for anyone in business, by the way. Can you tell me how the balance sheet works?
2: Yeah, look, it's one of the um, ideas I kind of coined that I think um, allows me to get into a dialogue about work-life balance with these kind of executives and business owner kind of clients I work with. Um, Essentially, as you know, a balance sheet breaks things down into assets and liabilities and equity. and there's a guy Robert Kiyosaki who used to say that an asset is something that feeds me and a liability is something that eats me. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's times when we go to work and it's going really well and it really feeds us and it gives us energy and obviously we earn some money there. Um, but it also can be you know, situations where you're going through a difficult time at work and, and maybe work can become a liability. Um, the converse equally applies where, you know, I've seen people, if, if they've had an argument with a husband or wife that they haven't been able to resolve that day or within a couple of days, that can start to have a build-up effect where they, they find themselves being a bit frustrated or short with people in the office, not quite sure why. So I think your primary relationship is, is a great example of something that we would like to see as a asset and a current asset that's working very well for you. But there are times where... Um, you may need to put extra effort into ensuring that you you keep that relationship on track so it doesn't become a liability that impacts your capacity to come into the office and uh, deal with the things you need to deal with there.
0: It's really, I mean, they're so intertwined. I mean, I I know of uh, friends who have had a great business, you know, really kicking goals to, you know, you can see that they're passionate. Um, One particular example of a, of a, a person who was running a restaurant just started up everything a lot of energy a lot of love in the business and then the relationship started to falter and as soon as that happened the, uh, of course the business never never really took off so it's almost like you can't really have um, I guess a, a, a coherency and uh, success at one end un- unless you're being supported at the other end Was that? would you agree with
2: that Glenn? Yeah, I think that's true and it's, it's kind of the, the case that if you keep stealing from tomorrow to try and pay for today because you say, you know, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to invest time with the kids next year or yeah. just got to get over this hump or just got to grow the business to the next stage, um, sometimes payday comes along, um, you know, if it's your spouse or it's your body gives in or you kind of get a bit burned out and lose your passion.
0: Absolutely. Now, there's one thing obviously that... Um I guess working with this we we I've I had this conversation with my kids just the other day about how they've grown up grown up through a, a generation where change is just a part of life it, it really doesn't phase them it doesn't affect them there's something that it's in one week it's out the next and you know it's forgotten about I think Paul and I are probably the, the generation where we things didn't change a lot and then all of a sudden they did. And my parents' generation, well, things stayed pretty much the same for a long mm. time. So adapting yeah. to change, I mean, it's obviously a, not only just a generational thing, it's obviously an individual thing as well. That must come into play when we're trying to think about this work-life balance.
2: Yeah, it, it does indeed. And I think the example you gave um, about being parents of teenagers and young adults, whereas I'm a parent of younger children under 10, um, I imagine that your role as teacher and mentor in earlier years, that's a role you have to learn and learn quite well and then at some point you have to change hats and you have to shift more into a coach, facilitator, counsellor role as you're facilitating how does this person fit into the family and how can they provide leadership in the family and how do you help them do things that you don't know about. So if they go off to university and they're studying things that, that aren't what you studied, um, you may be teaching them other things like how to maintain a car and how to balance their budget and spend their money, but certainly they, um, they get a lot more choice over how they spend their time and their money. The challenge with the concept of adapting to change is, as you say, transitions are something that we used to go through something that were kind of a start here, end there, and a lot of even the change management literature um, that we still use in organizations. Which may explain why we don't have a great track record when it comes track record when it comes to managing change successfully at an organisational level, is that um, they're, they're built on linear models. Um, and I really think that, um, based on my research, we need to think about change in a cyclical way uh, as yeah. part of a creative process. Um, And so the idea of adapting to change, uh, you see that in magazines and you hear people talk about it and we say it and we kind of assume that people know what that means and how to do it. But having been to business school where uh, the way that you get introduced to subjects is that somebody goes to the whiteboard and draws you a, a three or four set model, they kind of, here's the model, here's the process, here's the high level, big picture. Now let me break it down for you and get into the detail. So um, that's the, the research that I've, I've done over the last uh, five, six years. is really going back and reverse engineering Charles Darwin's work because I couldn't find a model that explained adapting um, sufficiently in plain English, so I had to take... Uh, what Dana was talking about from, from a point of view in biology and say how can we apply that in the world of business when it comes to adapting to change.
0: Well, all I know, Paul, this is probably your situation too. When we went to school, it was about learning stuff. Uh, when our kids are going to school now, they're about learning how to learn. Mm. Because it's it, what 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 is going to be the information for today won't be there tomorrow. It'll be something completely different. So um, yes, True. we all definitely have to, have to adapt to change. I, I'm reminded. I don't know what your you know great Italian dad that, that, that yeah that, uh, is he is he a, does he change easily or is he a bit set in his ways like my dad. Well, my dad's 90. Yes, yeah, so he'd be pretty so set in his ways. He's
1: pretty right. set. He's not really... Got uh, his routine worked out. He's not into Sudoku now or doing his crosswords uh, backwards. But uh, but look, you know, he you know came from uh, overseas and had to survive. And, you know, we talk about Darwin, Darwin's serious survival, I suppose, Glenn. You know, you have to... To battle and work hard and, and, and adapt, don't you, in many ways? Well, this is also where the balance
0: I sometimes think about, a comment that my father made to me once, and I remember this clearly, is uh, when, when email first became big, and I said, Dad, you've got to learn how to mm. email. You've got to learn to stick it, get computer savvy. You know, you can't be a dinosaur. And his comment to me was, do you think Kerry Packer sends his own emails? He has someone else who does that for him. <laughs> I'm really good at doing this. Someone else can do that. So I guess there's a, a bit of a balance there. You don't want to fall behind but you probably also want to know where your strengths are and what drives you and what what you're passionate about. Would that be right?
2: Yeah, I actually uh, found in my research that there's two kinds of adapting. Um, There's one kind of adapting which is about resisting change, which is about keeping things normal. Right, yeah. Um, So when you go outside and it's a cold day and you start to shiver and have a homeostatic response, that's in order to restore and maintain your internal core body temperature, right? Yeah, of course. So that's, that's the first kind of adapting that we do um, automatically. The other kind of adapting is that where we want to develop new ideas and new approaches and learn new things, and it's, it's about innovation and improvement and moving forward. And, uh, and uh, we, we kind of get caught, we think that's just evolution, but that's actually a form of adapting um, that complements the other one, and there's this dynamic balance going on between To what extent do we keep things the same and to what extent do we try and change them and and move forward?
1: Anthony, I can't help but thinking what Glenn's talking about. and you know, We talk about our pillars of neurology and we've talked about novel, novel sort of situations and, and you know, it sort of fits in with the model of change, doesn't it, really, in many ways? Yeah, well, you have to have some sort of stimulation in
0: terms of, you know, to grow and stretch and go beyond your, your comfort zone. Yeah, so. very
1: good. Now, Glenn, if, if we take some of these theoretical ideas of change and make them practical and real for, for our listeners of Back Chat, can you give us a few examples? <laughs>
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, when I started um, digging into this uh, concept of work-life balance, you guys kind of stimulated me to look at it a bit more closely and, and think about it. I went back to, uh, you know, at school we learned about the three R's, which is writing, reading and arithmetic. Um, but when I think about adult education and the topic of work-life balance, the three key concepts that really stand out for me are the ideas of responsibility, uh, resilience and responsiveness right yep now i think um in those we'll talk a bit more about them if you like but really the the first one about responsibility that we started to talk about is the fact that we end up with these different roles and we get conflict between those different roles so it's saturday night um there's an important work function on I'm, I'm being um, honored because i achieved something in the company and yet my teenage daughter's having her annual ballet recital so, how do I make that choice and that trade-off? And that's where we experience some of the conflict um, at that work-life balance level. So, I think really this idea of responsibility is, is leading a deliberate life. It's, it's kind of defining what does success really mean for me, moving beyond the notions that are in our culture that kind of suggest to me that, you know, the guy who dies the richest wins, you know, mm, I don't yeah. think that's really what the answer is, but unless you are willing to dig deeper and engage in, you know, a sense of visioning about what your future looks like, you don't have your own context against which you're you're going to take work-life balance and apply how that looks uh, to guide your choices along the way. Okay.
0: You don't don't want to have on your tombstone, he drove a nice car. You know, that's not what life's about, is it? You know, it's about experience. So what about in terms of... um, Uh, the business owner versus the employee obviously as a business owner you've got in some ways more flexibility because you can sort of change things up a bit and also perhaps a little bit more responsibility than an employee how does a business owner versus an employee do this juggle of life work balance
2: you know when somebody comes to sit with me for a one-on-one coaching session in my mind two people walk into the room and sit down on the couch so if Anthony was coming to see me, there'd be Anthony the manager and yeah. Anthony the worker. Yeah. Um, and Anthony the manager has to kind of set the direction and work out what the goals are and what work needs to be achieved by when and you kind of do that planning kind of side of things. And then Anthony the worker has to look at that plan and go, am I excited about that? Does that stretch me? Do I feel like I'm capable to achieve that plan? Are you giving me access to the resources that I need? And so whether you're employed or self-employed, I think you've got to do both of those roles. Yeah. Now, some people have the benefit of having a great manager that they work for, and some of those managers and those companies they work in are more work-life balance focused and provide a certain amount of flexibility and understand that um, if I give this person the opportunity to pick up their kids after school one day a week or multiple days or work from home, at the end of the day, I'm going to breed a certain level of engagement that will get me the outcomes that I'm, I'm looking for, and they manage much more by objectives. Yes. Yes. Um, but there's also business owners that might have the freedom and the flexibility to, to, to you, it would look like to lead, to lead a more work-life balance kind of approach, but um, they can easily become workholics because they, um, they're either overly aggressive or they find it hard to draw the, the line at the end of the day. So I think it's a challenge for, for both. Um, and if you look at it through the lens of responsibility and responsiveness and resilience, you find the same themes apply.
1: I'm just interested, um, Glenn, Can we've talked a lot about the responsibility side, but the resilience and responsiveness side, can you just elaborate a bit more on those two R's of, your, of the 3R plan?
2: Yes, I think resilience has got a lot to do with capacity. Um, you know, Some people have got the capacity to work longer hours and to play more and go out at night time as well and, and kind of achieve and do a lot more. So... Resilience, though, I don't think is a is a fixed thing. I think it's something that through deliberate practice you can extend and expand expand your capacity, um, and that's what we do. You know, through training and, and coaching and other kind of interventions where we're trying to improve our capacity to get stuff done. But it's it's not even just the amount of. You know, in some respects, we've all got the same capacity in terms of the amount of time and the hours in the day. But what you can particularly develop is is your energy and how you expend energy and how you recover it. And the interesting phenomenon is that um, that kind of capacity increases um, through use but also if you don't use it, you decrease that capacity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah? Yep. So that's on the kind of resilience front. Um, if you think about the way that a lot of elite um, athletes work, they don't spend a lot of time performing. They might spend you know, a couple of hours a week performing. They spend quite a bit of time, about 20% of the time probably planning, preparing and training and they spend 80% of the time actually resting and recovering. Mm. But there's such a focus um, in business and, and executive life on performing and performing and performing. And um, you know, I find when I start working with people and they're working five, six, seven days a week, my objective is to get them to work the four hour work week so they can actually spend the fifth day doing some innovation projects or driving strategic initiatives.
1: So working on the business, in effect.
2: Yes, because often they're, they're so um, tied up in the business because they haven't expanded their capacity by improving uh, their productivity systems, delegating to good people, finding great suppliers and partners around them they can work with. So they're actually um, they're not on top of the business and working on it; they're too busy working in it.
1: And what about responsiveness?
2: Yeah, look, I had a um, little story that I thought of about that. Um, it was one of those things that you have to decide in your house um, when you have a double working household, how are you going to divide up the work between your, your husband and wife team. And my wife and I decided that I would take our two sons to the hairdressers on Friday afternoons. Hmm. Uh, so every six weeks or so we need to go in for a haircut. And I picked up the boys one Friday afternoon from school at 3.30 and um, we started uh, driving and I said to the boys, we're off to the hairdressers. And my youngest son Who was five at the time said to me dad can we drop home and pick up the ipad on the way to the hairdresser and i said the ipad what what do we need the ipad to go to the hairdresser for (laughs) and then my elder boy said well dad last time we went to the hairdresser you were doing stuff on your iphone so we thought Uh, we could do stuff on the ipad when we're at the
0: hairdresser waiting for each other to have a haircut ouch 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 ouch
1: yep
2: and, you know, I must say, my wife and I have been quite conscious about the way we use technology around the kids and, and the way they use it, but what I kind of distinguished in that, that moment was, for me, it, was, it wasn't 5.30 yet, so I was still in work mode, and mm. I was accommodating the kids into my work day, yeah. so I needed to get a bit of work done, you know, process a few more emails, just keep the world moving along nicely. And it was appropriate to do that, um, even though we were in the hairdressers. But as I thought about the feedback that I was getting from my boys, I realized this is not what I want going to the hairdressers to be about. You know, for me, this is an opportunity for some quality family time. Um, Taking them to the hairdresser is the start of grooming them to become young gentlemen. Mm. So I realized that in fact, now I needed to adapt around them and their world. And when I leave work, once every six weeks on a Friday afternoon to pick them up and take them to the hairdresser, I need to close off uh, work, take that hat off, and put my dad hat on and enjoy that time.
0: Absolutely. It's not just about uh, being physically present. You have to be mentally present, don't you?
2: Yeah, indeed. And uh, even if you're... um quite successful and you have a range of things happening in your professional life and you might have community leadership roles, etc. Uh, the research shows that it's really about the quality of the time, um, how present you are, how engaged you are with your children, um, not just the quantity of time that you spend with them.
0: Well, I remember when I first started practice. One of my mentors was uh, Kevin Albrecht, who I uh, I was his associate. And I was always impressed. And it wasn't something that he necessarily sat down and talked me about, but he just uh, I just observed this in in, the, in his mannerisms. He had four children, and pretty much the moment that he opened the practice door he was a chiropractor and yep. 100% a chiropractor. Yep. The moment he closed it going the opposite direction, he stopped becoming a chiropractor and was 100% family man. And I was always very impressed by that. And it sort of, I think that had a, an impact on me. And by osmosis, I've tried to uh, yeah, absorb terrific. that into my life. Because it's very easy, isn't it, to blur the lines. You know, you say, oh, well, okay, spend with family, but you just, you know, I'm just waiting for that email to come back because I really need to
1: find this out or that. And, and as an associate back then, you wouldn't have got it. Right, you would have just not thought about it, but now down the track you retrospect you back and think, you know what, that was that was a bit of gold in regards to what he was doing. But back then you would have been thinking just of your own little world, I suppose. And- well,
0: it makes much more sense in your forties than in your twenties, Yeah, that's, that's right. for sure. Um Glenn, just um I mean we, we is it different depending on how passionate feel pe- people feel about their work. I mean, obviously our goal is to try and make our vocation, our vacation, as, as people say, is it as simple as that? Um, is it easier to make, have that work-life balance if you, you're passionate and happy in work?
2: Look, I think that, I think that it's a very important piece of work that, that people should do, that they need to take the time to get to know who am I really, which field do I need to put myself on, the football field or the hockey field or the basketball field. You, you've got to do that work um, and be responsible for placing yourself in an environment um, and the right kind of company and culture that's going to allow you to grow and develop and enjoy and, and drive a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment out of work. I think overall, generally, people's expectations are higher ever before than they have been about the amount of value they want to they want to get out of their work. So, um, yes, I think you need to do that. Um, And that whole idea about um, responsiveness we are just talking about is is really about the boundary management, how you establish those boundaries, uh, keep and maintain those boundaries to elevate them, because these days, technology follows you home, um, and it's easy for your work to suddenly interrupt um, that that habitat of your home that should be a place to rest and recover.
1: Glenn, you know, I'm just sort of reflecting on things, and I remember actually just with my kids going there as, pa- as a parent help and watching the kids in primary school, which was many years ago now. But I, st- I remember teachers talking about being responsible, resilient resp- and, um, you know, responsive. So are we slow learners in the sense of the world? Because these are, they're, they're, they're fairly basic values, but why are we, are we getting a bit murky and lost that we have forgotten, forgotten these really basic uh, values?
2: Look, I, I know even at my children's school, you know one of the the school values and things they talk about is resilience. But um, it's easy to hear these words and, and not take the time to distinguish what do they actually mean and what do they mean for me and, and how do I apply them. Um,
1: and I suppose it's the great gift of experience, isn't it? I mean, we you know I mean I'm, you know, obviously we can't compare when kids are trying to they're young, they're learning, and these are traits and attributes teachers pass on to try and build good culture and build good values and build good citizenship for for a child to become an adolescent to become an adult. Is it that gold of experience that makes a difference? You know, certainly having situations where you've got to go through perhaps many challenges maybe in business or in personal circumstances, then you come through and you start to have better responses and become more responsible and maybe develop more resilience with, with time and experience?
2: Yeah, well, look, uh, it, one of the reasons that I titled this kind of talk, Work Versus Life, Your Choice, is that I think we are making choices along the way and we have to make those choices sometimes faster than ever and there's more and more choices available today. So that feeds into the need to um, couple that experience with also increasing your capacity. I mean, there are now tools and technologies available that allow you to get things done that you couldn't get done 10 years ago. Um, You know, we use a collaborative task and project management software, for example. Now, I used to maintain a list of what I needed to do. Different people in my business need to maintain their own lists. But these days, we work off one shared list, and that list syncs to the cloud, So whether I'm in the office or I'm at home or I'm on my portable device, I can see that list and I can slice it and dice it and filter it and we have the conversation about each of these tasks and projects right there alongside of it. And Those kind of technologies um, and new ways that we can work do literally allow us to get done more with less um, and to work smarter. So I think coupling that maturity, judgment, wisdom, experience that you're talking about and how that guides our choice making, but importantly, if you don't, you do not embrace technology and find new creative ways to upgrade your operating system on an annual basis, it gets harder to keep up with the pace of, of both information coming at you and the, the kind of volume of tasks and projects you need to manage as you get more successful um, because you need to be able to have a system that you feel like, I can walk away and I know that nothing's going to fall through the cracks, that my system that second brain or extension, that filing cabinet outside of my head, is going to catch and manage all those promises and all those things and where they're up to, so I don't have to be attending to that and using up my psychic RAM, and just to step away and get the have the, have the freedom and headspace to um, be able to be engaged and present in those other areas of your life.
0: So I'm assume when you're working with your clients and, and you're talking about responsibility, resilience, and responsiveness, uh, a lot of this must come down to sort of setting out goals for that individual, or helping them set their own goals, and, and to make it, as I think Anthony Robbins talked about, the goals ecological. In other words, you can't have a goal of being an international speaker and uh, travelling around the world and also being on hands all the time their dad. Um, uh, is goal setting a very important part of, uh, of being able to practice these three R's?
2: Yes, and I would say you need to you need to stretch yourself out to the five to ten year horizon and have a, a very clear sense about what your vision is. But um, when you work on your vision, it reveals a deeper understanding about what your sense of purpose is, and also your values and how your values in the future may be different to what some of your values are today. But if you understand those three kind of guiding. Um, principles of vision, values and purpose, you can use those to frame and ensure that your your goals are an expression of and reflection of that purpose and, and those values and are moving you towards that vision. And that's where you're going to have to make the trade-offs. Um, and ultimately, you know strategy when it comes to the world of business and, and business schools, what it will teach you is that there's always more ideas and opportunities than there are resources available in terms of money, people, time and so making those trade-offs, deciding what to say yes to and what to say no to, whether to take on that extra international speaking engagement and that extra trip overseas this year, or whether to put that time into um, you know, raising your children with your partner, um, you've got to make those choices at each point along the way and find that balance.
1: Gianthony, I can just think of you know our practices and and the evolution of our practices over time. And you talk about when you were an associate, you know, X years ago, and and think of all the things that Glenn's been talking about in regards trying to integrate technology to advance our practices, to incorporate values, visions, um, systems. I mean, all this sort of stuff. It's um, you know, it's uh, something we distill and talk about, and it's so important to to have it happening. live and in our practices all the time, isn't it? We do have to reflect on these things because sometimes we can lose direction and realize that, oh, we've come a bit lazy at doing this. We haven't really delineated that. And uh, these are good conversations to be having, that's for sure. Excellent. Now, Glenn, we we like to talk about, uh, with our talent, a pivotal experience, an experience that perhaps may have changed one's life. And with our back chat listeners, is there something that you'd like to share from your own experiences that uh, has made you what you are today?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, I originally had a background in management consulting that led me into a few CEO roles and I had been dreaming about starting my own business at some point point. Um, and, you know, I think, I think I got to a point where I said, What Glenn, what are you dreaming about and not doing? Um, and I realized that I really wanted to start my own business but I was waiting for the right business partner to show up, the right idea, the right amount of money, the right moment for the clouds to part. And I had a bit of a shift and I said, well, what if I drew a line in the sand and I said that now is the right time um, and I'm going to step over that line and if I have the courage to do that, then um, maybe the right business partner will show up, I'll find the right idea, I'll find some projects, I'll I'll work it out as I go along. And um, it wasn't too long after deciding to do that and leaving corporate life. Um, I was having a little bit of a mini sabbatical, I guess you could say. I flew to New Zealand, and I went skiing with a um, a good friend of mine, and we were talking about the kind of things I was interested in, and she said to me, Glenn, I want to introduce you to my executive coach, and I said, an executive coach, what's that, Sally? And uh, she'd been working with this guy for uh, several months. He came into the world of coaching from a background of psychology, whereas a lot of other people come into coaching from um, more of a business management background. And uh, we had a dinner party uh, with uh, him and his wife, and I was quite taken by this guy. He was he was confident yet understated. Um, there was a certain wisdom about him, and I don't know. It was almost like I had career envy. Like I, I, I want to be you. I want to. I want a business that looks like yours and I, I was very fortunate that I I ran into a living, breathing example of something that I found was a good intersection of my interest in management leadership from my MBA studies and my executive experience as well as this whole kind of psychology of success. How come what I achieved today could be remarkably different from what I achieved tomorrow depending on my mental emotional state. Um, and so I think those two experiences together uh, were pivotal in me deciding to move forward and develop and um, enliven as a business and executive coaching practice. That's
0: a great way to distill a very, uh, you know, clarified vision there. Um, now, Glenn, you've shared so many uh, great little gems with us tonight. Uh, maybe just as a bit of a way, by way of summary, can you um, give leave us with three parting points, you know, the three sort of important take-home messages for our Backchat audience? <laughs>
2: yeah sure so just coming back i think to the three r's you know the first one that responsibility um you know life is going to throw you some curveballs along the way but um if you know where you're headed and you're leading a deliberate life then you'll um you'll be able to decide which ones to hit and which ones to duck and miss Um, But you need to be willing to take that kind of inner journey towards um, your personal leadership as well as the material external journey that you're taking towards greater levels of of success. So I think um, take um, that idea of responsibility and continue to work on that. Um, The resilience one, um, I would invest in a book called Getting Things Done, by David Allen. Um, if anyone listening hasn't read that, uh, that's probably one of the most um, widely uh, followed productivity methodologies on the planet today. Um, and then if you like that idea, the actual software that we use is a platform called Nozbe, N-O-Z-B-E. And, um, you know, this kind of technology used to cost thousands of dollars, but now you can get it for, you know, Australian ten dollars per month. Um, it, it's really a uh, probably the best investment you could make this year is to use one of those task project management tools that are that have the collaborative capacity, and that will increase your capacity and therefore your resilience. Uh, on the responsiveness front. Um, I think if you want to raise your boundaries, you can. You know, if, if that's an area that's important, consider investing in some specialised training and coaching in that area. Um, if you want to get started, there's a few good books out there. There's one called Boundaries: When to Say Yes, How to Say No, to Take Control of Your Life. Um, that's by Cloud and Townsend, and those guys have written a series of books on boundaries um, that include one about dating, one about marriages, and one about parenting. So. Um, you know, there's, there's some practical ways that you could uh, bring the three R's to life in your world as you um, engage with the concept of work-life balance and how to keep finding and striking that balance. Um, for me, it's a bit like riding a bike. You're always falling to the left and falling to the right. Um, or when you're walking, you're falling forwards. Uh, you've got to keep putting your foot out and it's a dynamic kind of a balance rather than a, um, a state you get to and then it's just trying to maintain it. I think about work-life balance as an ongoing... Um, dynamic uh,
1: shifting. Excellent, Glenn. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, a lot of great knowledge there, Anthony. I mean, t- in today's world, we're just on the go, on the go, on the go, and you know, we've got to you know, certainly take a lot of, lot of great, great, great knowledge out of what Glenn's been talking about. Absolutely, it was terrific. Thank you so much, Glenn. Really appreciate it.
2: It's been great to sleep
1: with you guys. Excellent. Thank you, Glenn. To find out more about Glenn and his products and services, go to www.enliven.com.au. That's au. There you can check out Glenn's book, Visioning Creating the Life of Your Dreams, which is available in either hard copy or as an e book as well. There's also free stuff there for you if you, you like the movie Pathways to Prosperity and the special report, Why CEOs Fail. You can also subscribe to his blog. Thank you for listening for Backchat. To stay abreast with updates and Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Chat podcast. All relevant website links to today's show will be at our Backchat podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We'll leave you one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast.